This episode contains adult language, mature situations, drama, rapture, heartbreak, Australia, and a love of the purest kind. Listener discretion is advised. Ashes in the Wind. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spark and Mong Review. I'm your host, Zahn. How you doing today? Pretty good, I'm hoping. If not, well, hope your day gets better after listening to this podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Spyrokin is a society that provides information and reviews about manga. What happens is, every podcast episode, I'll discuss one or two manga depending on the situation and give you some information about it. That way you don't go to the bookstore and say, hey, this manga looks pretty cool. You pick it up and the manga sucks. On the one hand... I talk about different types of manga so you don't have to worry about me just going over my favorites or things I enjoy. I have a very unique system of choosing the manga, which we'll get into in a bit, and I've helped a lot of people find out about manga they would never have touched otherwise that they actually turn out to be interested in. You don't have to agree with anything I say, but it doesn't hurt to listen because I'm free, and also, I'm something to do if you're in class, on the train, driving, or on an airplane, so it's not bad. Either way. So what is new with Zahn? Well... I haven't slept in the last 48 hours. You're probably wondering why. It's because one very cool and creepy reason. Because yesterday, February 9th, I picked up Bioshock 2. Fucking awesome game. I love it. It's just a vast improvement on the original game with better weaponry, better plasmids, and the story is just as good. So far, I'm about, I think, two-thirds of the way through the game, and I'm loving it. Uh, multiplayer... There's already people who are completely kicking my ass in it, but I enjoy it. But, again, we are not here for a video game review. I could go on and on about Bioshock 2 and the wonders of Rapture after the ten years since it's been vacated by the protagonist from the first game, but this isn't a video game podcast. I'll save that for the FightBait.com podcast. I'm going to be on a couple of weeks. Uh, You can check it out at FightBait.com and, well... It's pretty cool. As for my show, if you want to listen to any earlier episodes, you can check us out on iTunes or at http colon forward slash forward slash spirakin.podbean.com. There's no www in front of it, just so you know. You can leave any comments, concerns, or check out any of the earlier episodes or supplementals, which are kind of cool because my supplementals are when I do whatever the hell I want. Also, if you want to send me an email, it's at spirakin at gmail.com or... You can send a message directly to zan.spirekin at gmail.com. Pretty cool. Kind of nice. 
also. If you are inclined, you can leave a voicemail at 206-426-6665. That again is 206-426-MONK. All these information is in the show notes. And also, if you want to hear about any updates, check me out on Twitter under Spyrokin. And if you have Bioshock 2, definitely go to Xbox Live. Zan space Spyrokin. And Zan is X-A-N, not S-A-N. So it's Zan or Zan, however you want to pronounce it. Either way, besides that shameless plug, what else is new with me? Well, nothing much. Chilling out, playing this game, and working, as usual. And keeping my time with lots of manga, which I'm reading and just getting into. The good thing about reviewing so many manga is I don't have to worry about just buying so many of them, because I just go to a bookstore and just find the manga I'm looking for and read in the bookstore and write my notes. And if I'm really interested in it, then I'll buy it, or I can look up scanlations. But it's easier just to go to the bookstore and chill out, get a coffee, get a Rice Krispie treat. Hey, it's better than those crappy sandwiches they have at Barnes & Nobles. Hey, Some people are like, oh no, I love the sandwiches in Barnes & Nobles, but... Again, that's neither here nor there. So, we're going to the part we've all been waiting for. What am I speaking about? I'm talking about the one, the only, the email, the email, uh, uh, the email. Okay, now I'm done cribbing off of Strong Bad. We're going to be reading an email I received. Hooray, someone sent me an email. Remember, if you want to send me any emails that I can read on air, send me a message at spyrokinagmail.com or leave me voicemail at 206-426-6665. So, either way, on to the email. And this email is from Janine. Yeah, I'm really behind on my Spyrokin podcast. Shut up. Okay? Well, suffice to say that Janine is actually one of our regular emailers. She started emailing me quite a long time ago, about, I don't know, six months ago. And she's one of the constant contributors for information and whatnot. So I'm reading one of her ones, so that's why she's kind of a little rude at the beginning. But either way, Zan, didn't you forget just one little detail in your review of Kurosaki Corpse Delivery Service? That is Baldi, my fave character, by the way. Not only can talk to the dead and hear their last witches, there is something about or around Baldi that reanimates the dead so that they can get revenge on the evil ones that caused their untimely demise. I don't think that would be a spoiler. Keep reviewing. The podcast is always entertaining. Janine. So, yeah. Well, first off... I want to appreciate the email. Like I said, it's always good to get one back, and it's cool to know that people are still listening to this podcast. I'm not just talking to dead air. Either way. Now, the Kurosai Corpse Delivery Service and also the MPD Psycho episode was a little hard to be objective about because there's so much cool stuff happening in it. And I try my best to do justice, but more importantly, I try not to spoil as much as I can because the series are so involved and there's so much to the universe and everything going on. Now... There's a reason why I didn't want to talk about Yaichi, which is the spirit which is helping Baldi, and also how the the corpses are able to get their revenge in Kurosai Corpse Delivery Service. Now, the thing about it is that Yaichi is this kind of spirit that follows around Baldi, or Kurosato, around, and occasionally will possess him if he or she wields it. Personally, I think it's a she, but some people say, oh no, it's a he. Because, well, Yaichi is this spirit that you always see on his shoulder whenever his power works or if someone is going to do something bad or saves his life. And what happens is Yaichi is this huge, long-haired being with several scars on the face and the body, and it's kind of grotesque and freaky. And while the character doesn't really interact with the group, Yaichi constantly is there to kind of guide them in what they need to do and kind of gives them nudges about, hey, go over here, there's na- there's something bad, or m- 
literally will grab them and move them slightly over so they don't get hurt. And you learn more about Yaichi's relationship to Kurosato way later in the manga, around, I believe, volume 6 or 7, when it gets pretty interesting. And I didn't want to reveal that far ahead because of the fact that it's a big spoiler. And while I am, some people say, oh, you're the king of spoilers, I didn't want to go too in-depth into anything beyond the basics. I didn't want to blow everyone's head open to cause a heedaboo to everyone who's listening to their podcast be like, what? Yeah! You know, but it's a pretty just strange and unusual situation that that is. And Kurosagi is something which you can't just give all at once. You can't take it all at once. You need to take it in small amounts. Baby steps. So, speaking of things about other series, remember, we've had some other people talk about other issues they've had with some of my reviews and also with some of the stuff I didn't remark about. For example, last week, or a couple episodes back, John Sasser sent me that email about, well, the 70s factor in Hikoru no Ken, the fact that whenever Kenshiro was walking around, it was almost like staying alive, playing in the background. Well, it's kind of dated. The fact that it takes place in the far distant year of 1999. You know, it's just, it's a little dated, but it didn't have a problem being what it is, because it's Hakuna no Ken, which is completely and utterly fucking insane. Another person commented on the fact that in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure 2, I didn't talk about the gayness factor of it. And the fact is that with JoJo's, the gayness factor is just a part of it. It'd be like saying the sky is blue during the day and black at night. It's just something that's there. It's You can't say anything about it, objective or subjective for it. It's just part of what it is. It's like, you can get the homoerotic vibes between Jojo and Zeppeli, but it's not really going to help. It's either way. Enough of the ranting. Also, before I forget, Janine did write me another email quickly afterwards, which is just in response to my reply to her. And essentially, all she says is she gives me a couple of titles for the wheel for this week. And so, the titles that she put on there for this week, which are her titles, are going to be Oshinbo, Oku, Vagabond, Sayonara Zetsubo Sensei, and Blade of the Immortal. I always have a problem pronouncing Zetsubo for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the fact that I haven't slept in who knows how long. Either way, so those are on the wheel, which you'll find about in a little bit. And, huh, is there anything else I'm forgetting before we get into the main event of this podcast? Uh, well, oh yes, if you want to send me any emails that you want me to read on air, just send me an email, sparkin at gmail.com, or leave me voicemail at 206-426-6665, or leave me a comment on sparkin.podbean.com. I would appreciate it. It'd be kind of cool, and, uh, well, I guess... We should get on with it, shouldn't we? Get on with it! So, without further ado, let's get into the review of this episode of the Spark and Mong Review. Now, if you remember, last episode, I did my little trick on determining how to find out a new manga, and it was decided that I'd be reviewing Socrates in Love. So, Socrates in Love, or its real title, Seki no Chusen de Aino Sakebu, or Crying Out Love in the Center of the World, is a very interesting manga because it's actually a reinterpretation of a very famous novel by Koichi Katayama which has become famous because it has all these other variations of the story. There's the manga which we know as Socrates in Love. There is the TV series, the movie series, and a second drama. So it's kinda cool. 
and there's supposedly another manga in the works. Either way, it was, like I said, written and illustrated by Kazuma Kazui and published by Shogakuken in Japan and over here by Viz Media. It's a one volume. Uh, it was originally published in Petite Comics and it was about, took a year to come out from February 2004 to January 2004. Oh, I reversed that, January to February 2004. So it took me a month to read all of it. And, well, what else is there? And yes, I know I contradict myself with the fact that the manga was drawn by this person and it was written by a different person. My bad. Sorry. My notes are kind of written half-assed. And I'm, well, like I said, 48 hours of no sleep. But, oh, there's a radio drama, too, according to my notes. My notes are kind of, like I said, written on a small piece of paper and I can barely read it at times, but I try the best I can. I know this seems very unprofessional. Either way. So, this is a shoujo. And it is a, how could I put this, a melancholy romance, or it's a, yeah, it's a depressing romance story. And what is Socrates in Love? Socrates in Love is a one-shot manga, which chronicles the relationship of Sakutaro Matsumoto and Aiki Hiroshi. And the manga opens up with this line, which is, after I met Aiki, I missed a lot of chances to be with her, but when I look back, it seems as though she was always beside me. It's taken me a long time to accept the reality that my Aiki died. So, with those heartwarming words, we know something is up. Now, they could mean that in several ways. One, they could have said, oh, meaning her personality changed and she's no longer the same person she was. But, no. The fact is that when the next page, you see that he's carrying her ashes. So, it's kind of the fact that you know that this is going to have a very depressing ending. Might ward some of you people away from this manga, but it gets a little better because it's all told in flashbacks and it's about their relationship because this takes place, they don't give an exact time, but the novel took place in the 80s. So we'll say it's in 80s southern Japan. Now, the main character, Sakutaro, as they call him for the rest of the manga, Saku, is a kid who's in junior high school and he's forced to become like hall monitor with Aiki Hiroshi who gives him an exchange diary. Now, for those who don't know, if you're in a relationship with someone, it's like uh, love letters, but it's in a diary. You hand your love letter, you write your note in there, you hand it back to them, so on and so forth, over a period of your entire life, and it's almost like a diary. It's kind of sweet, and would be an interesting practice to cover over here, but I doubt anyone would really do it, because it sounds a little lame at times. But either way, what happens is that she gives him that, and she writes all his things, and they're together a lot. They become almost best friends. They're always together and the rest of the school interprets and wonders if they are in a relationship, you know, saying, oh, they've been going out for so many years. And it's, they're in a relationship and they don't even realize it, you could say, because they're always together and always just interacting. And what happens is, after they enter into high school, because they start in junior high, Saku's grandfather, whose name is Kentaro Matsumoto, he pretty much his wife died he moved into the town in his house next to his sons and he's like grandson listen i need a favor uh he's like what you need to get more beer grandpa he's like no i need you to rob a grave for me and saku's like what the fuck you you want me to rob a grave it's illegal he's like no 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 listen there's this woman 
who before I met your grandmother, what happened was I was madly in love with her and I was going to marry her, and problems happened because of the fact that she was of a higher status than I was and we couldn't get married. And then after she left her family, we could have got married, but she never did, and we never were able to fall in love and stay together. And she died, and I want to get some of her ashes to mix into my urn when I'm cremated after I die. So, Saku thinks he's a crackpot and completely batshit crazy. So he goes to Aiki and tells her, well, should I, this sounds really stupid, right? It's crazy, completely insane plan. And Aiki just says, you should maybe do this. It, if it sounds kind of sweet and nice and it'd be a little cool, cool to do. Not really, just kind of humoring him, not really believing that, but either way. What happens is that he eventually relents and Saku and Kentaro end up going to the grave and they proceed to get some of the ashes from the marker and Saku realizes that his grandfather absolutely loved this woman because of the manner they he was there because they didn't bring flashlights that he knew the way completely to this grave and he, it dawns on him the levels of love that there are and he realizes at this point that he is in love with Aiki and after they finish the deed and he takes a small piece of the ashes and takes it home he gives it to Saku says you take care of this for me so when I die you bury and he's like what what do you want me to do this for and he's like look I trust you and one day you'll understand so anyway he takes this piece of the dead lady's ashes and shows Aiki and well long story short things happen and he ends up confessing to her that he loves her because he realized that he's in love with her and so on and so forth and this is just the first chapter. There's only five chapters in this entire manga, so that it goes pretty quick. The next part is them more establishing more along the lines of what's going on in their relationship and her admitting that she's in love with him after a failed attempt at him to spend the night and f have sex with her. It's short and just kind of builds up on the momentum of trying to get you to sympathize with Aiki and Saiku's relationship, see how much they care about each other. And it works on a small degree, but it could have been more developed. Either way, the third chapter is when it gets interesting, or not interesting per se, it gets more depressing. See, after they went on their little trip to what they call Dream Island, which is kind of sweet place, they were alone and things didn't happen or did, we don't really know what's implied in that. But anyway, what happened is that Aiki gets diagnosed with aplastic anemia. So she's not able to go out anymore, and she can't go on their senior trip to Australia, which is where she has wanted to go her entire life, and she wanted to go with Saku, and they would have went there and would have had a good time. And so she's confined to the hospital, and she's just been moping around there, and he's visiting her every day, and every time he goes to kiss her, she's like, put some mouthwash in before you kiss me, I don't want you to get sick. Okay. And he's visiting her every day, and he shows that he's caring about her, and one day, when he gets out of the room, he hears some doctors talking. Uh, did you tell her? He's like, yeah, no, no, no. I've been telling her it's aplastic anemia. He's like, well, how do you tell her that it's leukemia? And he's like, oh, it's it's nothing. Everything's fine. And Saku doesn't think any differently of it. He's like, okay. So, so he doesn't really put it two and two together. And one day he comes back, and she's throwing up after her medication, and... Aiki's like, yeah, I'm not feeling well, I'm starting to lose some weight, and also my hair's starting to fall out. And he goes that day, runs to the bookstore and says, I need a medical journal. And he looks up aplastic anemia, and he looks up leukemia. Now, for those who don't know, aplastic anemia is essentially the same disease as leukemia, except it's not as severe and it's more curable. 
Now, for those who don't know, leukemia is cancer of the blood. It's the bone marrow itself is infected with cancer, and it is pretty fatal. I mean, you could survive it. I know several people who've survived leukemia, but back then, the 80s, it was a lot more severe and more dangerous. And what we can assume is that they don't want her to know that she is dying, or she's fatally ill. So he finds out the truth that she actually does have leukemia, and the rest of the manga is them dealing with her death slowly and him coping with it. I could get further on into it, but I don't want to spoil the rest of the manga. Now, it sounds pretty depressing, and it is depressing, but it has a little bit of hope in it. The ending was a complete fail, though, because the ending was, it was setting up for one thing, and then the ending you're like, okay, so you get us endeared to this character and then you pull something like this what the fuck I'll say this Kazuma's art style is very simple very shoujo-ish it looks almost like crayon style it's very not flowy I would say it's very simple it looks almost like etching where you just kinda use a pencil and you just kinda quickly sketch the character but it works for this manga very well because it has a dreamlike quality and for the fact that the majority of it is a flashback that works really well the story itself like I said after the point when you find out that she's sick and he real he says no matter what I'm still gonna love you no matter you know I'm gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna be together and he does all this stuff to be with her and make her happy and at one point which isn't really a big shock, is that before she dies, he wants to take her to Australia. So he sneaks her out of the hospital, and they do this madcap race to the hospital, and it does not end well, because, as we said, she dies, and she never made it to Australia. She, just the way it was done, was very romantic, but it also was really sad, because it's almost he's deluding himself at one point. I mean, you want to have that faith that your love's going to survive, and it's really... It gives you a sense that he really did love her. That last chapter, though, the last part, the ending of the, the story, which is kind of like half of it approves this, and the other half completely negates the entire manga, kind of puts a stick in the mud about it. I know I'm contradicting myself, and a lot of you are like, Huh? What does he mean by this? Well, I can't really get into it. It's just, you have to read it if you want to know more. The novel... I picked up the novel after reading to see if the novel was better. And the novel is a lot better. The characters are more developed. And it made me feel a lot better. The manga, though, it was a poor man's adaption. It made me feel for the characters to end when Aiki died. I was a little bit teary. But that ending just completely, I was like, what the fuck? How could you do something that? Like, at first, it was very reminiscent to the manga I Ren, which I hope to one day review for you guys which has a character who's dying in a similar situation. Well, not really. It's very different, but... Similar situation dealing with life and death and love. But the way it's executed, there's a lot more romantic and sad. This is more kind of a little bit tear-jerky, but then... Whatever. It didn't convey that heartbreaking nature to me at the end of it, which I would have liked. I mean, if you're going to go all the way, you go all the way. You don't, at the last minute, kind of do something finagly to it. Not with this least amount of uh, character development in one manga. I mean, if you had, like, multiple mangas and can stretch out, yes. Otherwise, well, I said this failed. So, what am I going to give this manga? Socrates in love, or crying out love in the center of the world. I'll have to give this 
for a review. A gift from your crazy Aunt Muriel. Okay, but forgettable. The novel, I would actually give a borrow from a friend and don't return unless offered back because the, the novel is astounding. It's really well done, and the translation was not bad at all. It was pretty safe and, well, to be honest with you, I dug it a lot. The only complaint, though, I wish I could have read the novel first, then read the manga, because the manga really dropped down my expectations of the novel, and surprisingly, it exceeded them. Uh, so, yeah, if you have a chance and you're, you, you like romance, you might pick this up. If you're a guy who likes violence and action, you're going to hate this. If you're someone who likes well developed plot, you're going to hate this. Being a shoujo title, I kind of should have known not to have high hopes because not all of them are really, really good. This one, the story was fine. It was just the way it was written was and the adaption was poorly done. I heard the movie is excellent and I heard that the actual TV series is pretty cool. So I might check those out eventually. It's on my list of to watch eventually. That and also the Liar Game live action and also the Nodame Cantable live action. I did watch the live action for uh, MPD Psycho, and that was pretty fucked up. I enjoyed it, but either way. So, is that it? Yeah, that's it for this review. Kind of short, but hey, what am I going to talk about with one volume manga, which I could have just went over everything and spoiled the entire manga, but I'd rather, if you want, check it out and read some of it. See this ending that I hate and try and contest it with me. If you want to contest it, definitely send me a email and you can harass me and, well, be violent as you want. Either way, is that it for this episode of the Spark and Wrong Review? No, wait, there's more. Of course, there is our contest, which is, I know I'm saying there, but it's just me, but anyway, there's the contest for design a logo for the Spark and Manga Review, which would be a header, a small logo, and a large logo. All you have to do is take the basic design and design something new with it. Uh, the final due date is April, I believe, 27th? Yes, April 27th. That's when you have to send it in. Also, remember, in May 1st, the Sakura Matsui in Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. I will be there. And it's going to be pretty cool. So if you want to meet me and chill out and talk to me and, well, maybe get some free manga and maybe a t-shirt, send me an email and we'll set something up. Yeah. So, the last part of the Spark and Manga Review, the part we've all been waiting for, and what am I speaking about? I'm talking about the one. The only. The Yes, friends, the Wheel of Manga, except no substitute. Now, what is the Wheel of Manga with its awesome scullyness? Well, the Wheel of Manga is how I determine what I'm going to be reviewing for the next episode of the Spark and Manga Review. Now, what happens is, on the Wheel of Manga, there are ten slots, and I put a title in each of the ten slots, so there are ten different manga I could possibly get. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spin the Wheel of Manga, and whatever number it lands on, that's what I'm reviewing for the next episode of the Spark and Manga Review. Number three, and according to... The list, number three, is going to be a Dark Horse title by the name of Blade of the Immortal. Kind of cool, so going from a shoujo to a hardcore gekiga. Big leap, but hey, should be pretty cool. So, I guess that's it for this episode of the Spark and Manga Review. Thank you as usual. Send me your messages at sparkin.gmail.com, and thank you for listening. I'm going to keep coming out with episodes, keep releasing them, and hopefully I will eventually release my backlogged stuff so I'm actually on date. I've just been so lazy. I have all this stuff. I've just been kind of like, i got to edit it. I have to edit it. Hopefully I'll remember to edit this one, and I'll have them all out. I know if I release this on time, which I probably am not, you guys will be a little bit understanding if I'm a little behind schedule. Also, upcoming news, Supplemental with Deke. It's been confirmed. We're reviewing 
a John Carpenter Golden, Big Trouble in Little China, that should be coming out eventually, and ah, that's it for this episode of the Spockers Mong Review. Whoa, what the hell was that? Just heard a big bump. Guess it was my neighbor. Who knows? Either way, this is your Hosan, and I am Gonsville. Thanks for listening. See you next time. さめ覚めるたびに君の抜け殻が横にいるぬくもりを感じたいつもの背中が冷たい苦笑いをやめ思い出すぎる朝日僕と毎日の追いかけ子だあの日見せた泣き顔涙照らす夕日肩のぬくもり消し去ろうとめ I'm not afraid.